You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. As we walked into the booth to begin our conversation, I was happy to have the chance to steal an hour with my mom, but I really didn't expect to hear anything I hadn't heard before. My mom and I are quite close, and we talk all the time. Forty minutes later, though, there was barely a thing she had told me that I'd known before. Mom talked about her great-grandfather, a physician in Vienna, who went house-to-house caring for sick families during a typhoid epidemic in the 19th century. At at the time, visiting these quarantined quarantined homes was forbidden. One day he was caught coming out of a contaminated house and punished by having his hands chopped off and lye poured over his hands. He died soon thereafter. She told me about her grandfather, who owned a tiny, decidedly unsuccessful hardware store on 110th Street in Manhattan. He was, she said, a pinpoint Talmudic scholar. If you stuck a pin through this Jewish text and told him what word the pin hit on the first page, he could tell you precisely what word the pin hit on each successive page. He would spend his days in his empty store, hunched over this great book he loved so dearly. Occasionally, a customer would walk in and ask a question, only to be shushed. I waited two hours for you. You can wait two minutes for me. And then he'd finish whichever Talmud portion he was studying. David Isay is the founder of StoryCourse. He's won five Peabody Awards and a MacArthur Fellowship. He's the editor of four books that grew out of the StoryCorps project, including Listening is an Act of Love. His newest book is Mom, a celebration of mothers from StoryCorps. Thank you for joining me, David. Great to be here, Rick. Dave, I I know you've been asked this a million times, but I really want to know. Sure. Tell me about (laughs) creating StoryCorps. Sure. Um, I'm happy to talk about it as many times of, as, as I'm asked. I am, actually, this is the second book out of StoryCorps. Before StoryCorps, I used to do radio documentaries for public radio. And as I was saying, the um, last one I did before retiring and deciding to devote the rest of my life to StoryCorps took place in Santa Cruz with, uh, with a guy who had, had a, uh, who had been lobotomized when he was a kid, a guy named Howard Dully. But StoryCorps started uh, six and a half years ago. And uh, it's a very simple idea. We put a booth in Grand Central Terminal where you can um, bring anybody you want to honor them uh, by asking them to talk about their life. You come to this booth with a friend, uh, your grandmother, a bus driver, and you're met by a facilitator who works for StoryCorps who brings you into this booth. The door shuts. You're in this very quiet room with, say, your grandmother, the facilitator's in the corner. You sit at a table across from your grandmother, and for 40 minutes you listen and you talk. Um, and you ask questions. Mo- most people ask big life questions. How do you want to be remembered? What are the most important lessons you've learned in life? At the end of the 40 minutes, two CDs have been burned. One goes home with you. The other stays with us and uh, becomes part of a, uh, an archive at the Library of Congress. So your great, 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 great grandkids can someday get to know your grandmother through her voice and story. Uh, and of course, excerpts are played every Friday on public radio and appear in books like this book, Mom. This is such a wonderful project. It just reminds me of the the old style WPA projects, and oh, it's yeah. a great use of the this low cost technology. Yeah, it's it's um, you know when I was uh, a radio producer, a young radio producer, I used to spend time at the Library of Congress going through those old WPA recordings, and that was a, a it's definitely a, an influence on starting this project. And just hearing the voices of um, you know guys in a pool hall 
after you know the bombing of Pearl Harbor, just talking about that and talking about their lives with the sound of the, you know, playing pool in the background. It was just you know the voice is such a powerful kind of intimate uh, 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 way to, to 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 meet people and to and to experience things. And those tapes just kind of brought me back into the 40s and 30s. And uh, you know part of what what you know, we, I wanted to do a story core. We wanted to do a story core was to, you know, again, what, what, what was going on in the WPA was it was everyday people who were being interviewed. Different than story core, because it was folklorists and ethnomusicologists doing the interviews. And with story core, it's, we're interviewing each other, regular people interviewing each other. But it's, uh, it's incredibly powerful. And of course, you know, Studs Terkel was a huge uh, influence on, on me and a good friend and cut the ribbon on the first StoryCorps booth. And he was one of the WPA um, writers. Uh, that was, uh, I think, his first, uh, uh, his first work as a writer. Um, and uh, he, he uh, cut the ribbon on our first booth and, and has been a, you know, spoke so eloquently when he was alive for so many years and was such passionate about the importance of bottom-up history, history through our voices and stories as opposed to the top-down history of statesmen and politicians and so forth. I love that term, bottom-up history. I, I've yeah. not heard that before, and, and I think that's really an effective way at getting a more, I, much more accurate way look at the way people live than any other history. Talk about uh, some of your experiences as you just started to create this architecturally it's become a huge project uh, talking how did that how did that develop well i think it's i it's 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 gotten a lot bigger i mean i don't think we've even started to touch the potential of what this thing's going to be eventually but yeah i mean it was a crazy idea we started with one booth in grand central terminal and the whole thing was a huge experiment what happens when you throw open the doors of this booth and invite people to come in and interview loved ones i didn't know i had a lot of fears about it but it worked um all of our um you know assumptions about how this should be done were pretty good and you know since then it's grown we've done about 30,000 interviews with about 60,000 people across the country and and now we're working to really build this into an american institution that we hope will someday touch the lives of every american family and remind us the importance of listening and the poetry and majesty and beauty and the stories we find all around us uh, when we take the time to listen as opposed to the kind of uh, sludge we're fed through our tv sets you know 24 hours a day well uh, could you tell me uh 30,000 people, 30,000 interviews, 60,000 yeah. people, that's a lot of data, a lot yeah. of information. Right. Talk about architecting something to keep track of that yeah. and working with the Library of Congress. Sure. That, that can't be easy. Well, we have um, brilliant archivists who work at StoryCorps and work very closely with the, the Library of Congress so that, you know, the this is, this is the first digital audio collection, born digital audio collection, to go into the Library of Congress. And we did a lot of work with them before um, launching StoryCorps to figure out the kind of metadata and what ways that this could be, you know, ways that this could be archived and, and best used in the future. So the facilitators who are in every interview do a lot of data entry work. Uh, and it all goes to the Library of Congress. And we are, uh, over the next several years, you know, one of the issues that I was concerned about with StoryCorps. When you do a StoryCorps interview, at the end of the interview, if you want, you sign a release, and we have the right to um, uh, use this material. But we're very, you know, we look at 
StoryCorps is a public service, and we look at it as a very important um, bond with our participants. They're literally trusting us with their lives, you know, because they're talking about their lives uh, and uh, leaving this legacy through StoryCorps. So we're very careful about what we do with these recordings. And uh, I did not want to put them up on the web because I just was uncomfortable with um, identity theft and, and so forth because it's it's so much intimate stuff happens in these interviews. So over the next couple of years, we, we're going to be developing and implementing a system where all of these, you know, it'll be 40, 50, 60,000 interviews when it goes up. Interviews will be available on the web and the participants will have the uh, choice uh, whether who to share them with. So whether to make them inaccessible or accessible to their friends or accessible to everybody. And I suspect just from our experience of what um, of people signing releases and our, the compliance rate of the 30,000 people who participated, which I expected to be, you know, in the 60 or 70 percent range when we launched is over 99 percent. So everybody wants this to go to the Library of Congress. And I suspect when we put this archive up, um, people will be interested in, in, in allowing public access to their stories. For now, though, you have to go to the Library of Congress to listen to the full interviews. We excerpt, you know, one, um, we excerpt, we have, you know, several hundred uh, four-minute excerpts of interviews on our website, um, and uh, those have been fact-checked and so forth. So that's what we have available publicly now. That's just an amazing amount of work. Uh, are these uh, transcribed at, in some way? Um, they, when, when the facilitators are uh, doing the interviews, mm -hmm. they are keeping a log of what's being said at what different point uh, time-wise in the interview. And when this archive is public, um, you'll be able to see that, that log and click at different times of the interview and search the log and listen to the different, you know, what happened at, you know, 33 minutes when someone talked about the Battle of the Bulge or whatever it is and go right there and listen to that section of the interview. Boy, that's just an amazing amount of, of technology and, and and a combination, too, of art, the, the art of, of the facilitators listening. Talk about how you uh, indoctrinate these facilitators? They, indoctrinate, people don't come like out. That. People don't come out of the out of the uh, out of the woods that way. Well, you know, the the facilitator job is an interesting job. It's sort of, um, it, you know, the, it's there because of the nature of what's being talked about in these interviews. In some ways, you know, they're collecting the wisdom of humanity, and um, we've had d uh, hundreds of facilitators, at least a hundred facilitators at this point. Um, it's a very, in the beginning of StoryCorps, the core in StoryCorps, uh, it really refers to the facilitators, this one-year tour of duty that these people served with us at, in the beginning. We ended up, um, because it was so expensive to retrain people every year, turning it into a permanent job. People can usually stay no longer than three years because it's such an intense job. They're hired because they're, they're great listeners, and we get um, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of applications for each job, even though it's not a high-paying job. Uh, and it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult work. Uh, but um, they're great listeners. They go through intensive training. They're given a lot of um, they're they're given a lot of resources uh, because it's you know grueling being out on the road. The kind of um, interviews that are being done. We have a project with families who lost every family who lost a loved one on September 11th coming in to remember that loved one. I mean, very difficult interviews to do. Um, but they're amazing people, and they are the core of StoryCorps. Now, um, a as you've been collecting this. Um, this new book you've created, it's called Mom. It's it's a celebration of mothers. I have to say one of the things that this book is really, it is so much American and America yeah. from, from such an interesting perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I like to think that these are, you know, these are the real American stories. This is the real American story, what you get through StoryCorps. It's not Octomom and all this kind of nonsense. It's not, you know, Tiger Woods. You know, these are these are the stories of uh, our neighbors and our family and our friends and, and uh, people who live lives of courage and conviction and, and kindness. And that's what you find in, in, uh, in, in this book. You know, I, the facilitators, I, I pulled a couple aside last week as I was about to go out on, this week, as I was about to go out on book tour, and uh, just asked them what it was like. Because I'm in Brooklyn in the office raising money, you know, constantly. I don't get to sit in on interviews and have this experience. Although, you know, for many years I did, I did interviews for public radio documentaries, so I understand what they're going through, but not the kind of volume of, you know, eight people a day coming in to do interviews. And I asked them, uh, after, you know, thinking about the mom book, what, what was it like for them to do these interviews where people are interviewing their moms or talking about their moms are very powerful. And they said that, you know, at the end of the day, they would um, invariably leave the booth and just call up their mom or their dad and just say, I love you or I'm thinking of you. How are you? Uh, and just want to connect with them in that way or thank you. You know, and I think that's kind of the feeling that, that, you know, when you write a book, you put it down for nine months and then you read it again before you start going on tour. And when I read it last week, that's how I, that's what I did. That's how I felt also. You just want to pick up the phone and say thanks. It really is a, a, a powerful book. And as I was looking at these pieces, how many are there in there? You know, I didn't really count. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, around 40. 40. Yeah, I haven't counted either. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It struck me how much listening you must have done uh, to to all of these interviews. Not me. Oh no, no. Oh. no. I mean, I I um, I, I wish. I mean, that would be that would be fun. That's that's what my old life was. Uh -huh. um, but uh, no, we basically the facilitators in the booth. Uh, we look at at StoryCorps as a human service. Every interview is equally. You know, it's a sacred bond with our participants, equally important, all 30,000. Some of them have a universal quality, which, which, which makes them appropriate to share with a larger audience. So the facilitators are keeping, um, when in their logs, there's a part of the log that the facilitators mark if they think it's appropriate for radio or they think it's appropriate for a book. Um, and uh, what, uh, what we, have a, we have an editorial team at, at StoryCorps who printed out uh, probably 4,000 transcripts and started, you know, culling down and then, you know, bringing, working with me to pick the best of the best. So the, that, that, the, the, I think it would be an impossible task to do that volume of, of culling work one-on-one -on -one to read 40,000 interviews. So, that, so there is a bubble-up sort of system. Well, this is just such a remarkable and really um, charming achievement. We, we see lots of things built and made and painted and created, and, and there's so much, I guess, I'm going to go back to that word, charm here in, in this book. Talk about um, architecting charm. That, that's yeah, a, that's, I, that's an, an interesting word. I mean, I don't, I, uh, I mean, I think what, what it is is, is um, it's, it's very authentic. Um, and uh, I think the charm is that, you know, I think that, that there, it's a self-selecting group who come to StoryCorps. These are people, who, these, this is a celebration of moms. These are great moms. I mean, there are people who talk about moms who aren't so great and what they, how they learned how to do things differently. Uh, but I think you're hearing humanity at its best when you're, and you're hearing authenticity and, um, and, and you're hearing 
good people doing good things in the world. Um, and, but it's not syrupy, you know, it's not sappy. It's, there's, you know, tragedy and humor and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's real just like our moms are. And I guess the charm of it is, is that we're surrounded by so much phoniness that to have something authentic, it's, you, you, it's just, it just hits you like a sledgehammer, you know. It really is an immediate connection. When yeah. you read any of these pieces, you're immediately in that booth. You're with that person yeah. on their life yeah. and, and seeing their story unfold. It's very gritty. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's, um, and it's people, you know, people have very emotional reactions to StoryCorps. And actually, you know, it's funny that people ask me all the time, what's been most surprising to you about StoryCorps? And uh, I have, there are kind of pat answers that I, that I give that are true, but I, you know, maybe the, the real answer, which I never realized before this minute, was that people have, have such a deep emotional reaction to these stories. Whether they're funny, you know, they're gonna cry, <laughs> or they're, you know, or, you know, because most of these stories aren't sad, but people are, you know, I hear, you know, I'm, now that I'm out on tour doing these readings, everybody comes up and says, every Friday I cry, I'm the, I get, you know, dozens of mascara emails every week. You know, I have to, I, you know, I, I have to, you know, wipe, re put on my mascara again. And I think it's because, as I said before, that you're hearing people at their best and there's something kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's walking on holy ground, you know, and, and it becomes a very emotional experience for people. One of the things that's uh, kind of shocking about this book in a way, as you read it, is how much you realize that um, humans are, 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 we're story animals. Yeah. We, there's, yeah. These are all real stories. They're not just anecdotes. They're, there's yeah. a story feeling through here. Yeah, no, it's true. And, you know, the other thing that I get reading the book is that, um, that uh, you know, I, I, uh, someone described this as kind of like a Noah's Ark of humanity because there's every different kind of mom in this book you can imagine. It's basically it's people interviewing their moms or remembering their moms. Um, and, you know, you realize that no matter what, uh, you know, whether a mom has one kid or 13 kids or is a stay-at-home mom or not, that, that, that the moms, there, is, there, is, there are similarities, and it's this kind of fierce devotion and love to the kids and, and uh, uh, creative ways to, to, you know, raise kids and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, protect and nurture and love their kids. Um, but, yeah, and, and the stories, you know, what the, the thing about StoryCorps is, as I said, you know, it, it's people. It, it is a wisdom project, just by the nature of the fact that people think of this as forty minutes to leave a legacy. That their great, 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 great grandkids are gonna um, are gonna uh, hear someday, and uh, so um, ah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but I'm sure it was going to be something profound. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that that strikes me too is that when you look at the title of this book yeah. mom and yeah. you think mom and you think oh that's a pretty simple concept yeah it is not a simple concept yeah. and the permutations in here right. of of motherhood and yeah. the visions from the visions from which you see it are just seem incredible and it's surprising to see all the the variations on motherhood we yeah. see in this book well that's what you know i i did remember my train of thought which is that um we you know that when people come into the booth that 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 because it's just 40 minutes to sum up your life you're going to talk about those huge issues and people in your life so it's going to be about death and birth and moms and dads you know so everybody who comes to story Corps pretty much talks about their moms but out of these 
you know, five themes. There is this, you know, I don't know, not rainbow. I can't even, it's this, you know, peacock's feather of, of stories that just, that, that and, and there's always more stories, you know. The, 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 the pat but true answer that I used to give until today to the question of what's been most surprising about StoryCorps is that I did expect the stories to start repeating at some point because I thought there were a finite number of stories that people could tell. Uh, a lot of these are intergenerational, so you're interviewing your grandma or your grandpa. Um, and I figured eventually it would start to repeat, and it hasn't. And the stories just keep, not only don't repeat, but just get better as time goes on. Now that getting better is probably because the volume of stories we're, we're recording has, has, is growing, but it's just, uh, that's, that's another kind of miracle of the booth. One of the things that's interesting to me is how candid uh, people are and how, how they you know, will tell you things that are somewhat surprising. And, and I'm wondering that at, as, a, as an editor, Yep. You, you've got all these things in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, talk about the just dealing with this on an emotional level, just the kind of shocking things and, and interesting and charming and sweet and yeah. wonderful. I, I, how, how do you like? Well, I mean, I think that's, that's how I, that's <laughs> how I, you know, I think that's how the decisions are made. You know, it's, it's stories that, that strike me and make me feel something that are the stories that you remember, you know, mm -hmm. and th those are, uh, you know, and that's the same, it's the same way when I used to do radio documentaries, you know, that when I was sitting and and, and recording people, you know, when they would, when you would get to a point that was, everything came together, it was the voice and what was being said, and it was almost, you could see sparks coming out of people's mouths. It was just no question that this was, this was what, you know, this was the essence of who these people were, and this was a moment of just truth. And that's what we're looking for also on the page. You know, and I think I think what happened, you know, I let my I let it in the first time. And then as I, you know, play and, and play them over and over again, eventually you have to kind of shut it off because some of these stories are just so unbelievably, you know, hard, sad and hard to listen to. Now, uh, there are one of the things I, I, I love is that just how complicated some of these relationships are. Yeah. And there's one woman who says, you and David got married, and David is my son, and I married yeah. Nate, and you're Nate's daughter. And she's talking yeah. to her daughter-in-law, yeah. and you realize that how um, uh, we think of our lives and our families as somewhat simple and easy to understand yeah. because we experience them from within our own perception and everything kind of rolls along. Right. But when we see this from outside, when we hear it related in this kind of uh, oral storytelling format, yeah. we realize just how complicated everything, not only other people's lives, but maybe how complicated our own lives are as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I, uh, my mom is a, was a book editor for 40 years and actually now is writing books and has a book coming out soon. We have competing readings back in New York on, on one night. But she said that, you know, that reading the book for her was, uh, and she's a fierce uh, critic of, of 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 stuff and and a fierce advocate also, but she said that you know reading the book for her, which she also read last week, uh, at nine months after it was written, um, that for her it was like each story was like cl a climbing a step on a staircase, and when she was done, she just it just kind of washed over her what an incredible, uh, profound thing it is to be a mom, and I I hope that's what people get from the book. It's there are so many really interesting. Uh stories in here uh, and it's one of the things that 
theme the different themes evolved yeah uh, and i love the theme of you know mama mama as a as an example yeah you know that so many people hold up their mom as an example and i love the woman who thinks of herself that that i'm just the gas station oh yeah <laughs> yep yep she said this was uh this is i think one of the early stories in the book from mm-hmm. the wisdom section where um it's a it's a brother and sister who come to the booth to remember the, the their mom the sister is a doctor, and she talks about her mom who is dying of cancer and insisted on taking her to her medical school interviews. And uh, she knew she was dying, and they were in a bed and breakfast in Massachusetts, I think, and she got into bed with her and said, I want to tell you a few things. And this was her chance to tell her what she knew about being a parent. One of the things she said is that, you know, that a parent is like a gas station, that you don't go chasing after your kids. You have to remember that. You stay in one place, and they come to you. And if they're going to go off, you know, you're there for them when they need you, but you can't run after them. And that's just, you know, you have this these, uh, this book to, uh, divided into sections, and the first one is wisdom. Yeah. And I actually just talked to Stephen Hall, uh, Stephen S. Hall, who wrote a whole book about wisdom, huh. studying the neurobiology huh. behind it. Now we're able to divide wisdom into eight different kind of components. Oh, how interesting! And it, and all these eight components um, harken back to some of the ancient Platonic and the huh. earliest philosophical conceptions. Yeah. But one thing that for all the philosophers who are out there, for all the great <laughs> men who are out there, for every statesman, conqueror, general, yeah. scientist, everybody who thinks about wisdom, the first person that comes to mind is mom. Huh, how interesting. I'm going to have to find that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now... And, it, you know, and yeah, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot, as you're saying that, I mean, I think a lot of what is going on in, in, in StoryCorps and, and, and in many stories in this book are mothers trying to pass down wisdom to their kids, to their daughters especially, about what they've learned about being a mom? One thing that, that's interesting too is just how many um, different perceptions of children there are. Uh, on one hand, you had a, a woman who had uh, who thought early on I'm just going to go out, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, and that's yeah. going to be it. But it proved to not be very easy for her because she had many, many miscarriages. Right. And, and she says, you know, her, her, this story starts, having children wasn't as easy as I expected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, she's interviewing her, her daughter, uh, and I think this is a story that takes place in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, she talks about how she she wouldn't have raised her kids any differently if it had been easier, but that it really gave her such a deep appreciation for her kids every day. She tells a story in the, in that in that uh, in that in that uh, in the book, and I think it was the first time she ever talked about this, where she had been a law clerk for uh, 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 for a judge in Philadelphia when she was going through this time when she couldn't have a kid. And he was very helpful to her. And he would say to her, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And give her advice about dealing with when her sister was, you know, coming to town with her new baby, what to do, because it was so difficult for her. And she says in the story that um, that an amazing thing happened to her when she took her son and walked him up to his new law school. And it was named for this judge who had told her that it was going to happen. Um, so these are the kind of... Uh, you know stories, and again, it's it's stuff that 
that that isn't talked about. And I think in that it's good to have reread this book because I can remember everything. I think that that the um, that the daughter says, "Why did you want to tell me these things?" And she said, "Well, you know, it's like it's kind of like." This is, I think of this as like your bat mitzvah a little bit. And there's just times in life when you just got to sit down and talk and, 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 you know, have these kind of conversations that you just don't normally have. One of the things I think that's so interesting about this is, is the story core is it really does give a picture of America that you don't see in any other kind of media. There's... I didn't see read any story by anybody who's rich, right. famous, super ultra successful, other than within their own conceptions of their personal lives. This right. is, is really such a, a beautiful picture of America as you know uh, well, a you. hardworking kind yeah. of nation. And, and I think that this is this is the best ambassador we could send out is this book. Yeah, I mean, and I think again, I think this is the real American story. Um, I mean that you know we we spend so much time focusing on that 0.001 percent of people who for one reason or another get caught up in the media storm and or and and are looking for 15 minutes of fame and I think the thing about the people in this book is that there is nobody who is looking for 15 minutes of fame. What you have are people, all the people who come to StoryCorps, who are just looking to connect. Now the stories in this book are really seem very carefully chosen and they're beautifully yeah. written. Yeah. And, and I want to, you to talk about um, looking at transcriptions sure. and going from a transcription what you see in the raw interview to what we see in the book, to, because you really there's hearing something yeah. and reading something are very different experiences, yes. aren't they? And part of what you know we do with these StoryCorps transcripts, you know, some of them have been on the radio. And w- just taking a radio interview, and which which is full of emotion in the voice, and it just doesn't translate to the page almost ever. So the trick is to put the voice out of your head and read the transcript as a transcript, so it becomes a print piece. Uh, and you know, again, remember these are thirty-five stories out of thirty thousand interviews. So you're the, there. There's a poetry to these stories that you can't miss. You know, there's editing involved. Um, I, you know, I I I should check at some point how far we condense them. They're 40-minute interviews. These are probably a third of the stories. Um, And uh, there's, you know, I I think what we try to do is the same thing that I used to do when I was doing radio documentaries is, you know, condense the stories so that they are truly told uh, and and as powerful as they could possibly be. So they're they're completely true, but, you know, the odds and the ums are taken out, and you're, you're going to rearrange things a little bit uh, sometimes so that the narrative holds together so that, the you know, the end may not be the end of the interview. I can only think of what we've done two books, and there's only one um, interview that I can think of where the ending was exactly how the interview ended. Uh, which was uh, in the last book, in Listening is an Act of Love, which was the first story court book, someone came in to tell the story of September 11th and his um, escaping uh, very, very, I think he was one of the last people out of uh, the uh, second building that collapsed. And he tell, tells this incredible story of escaping. And the whole interview is a story of escaping and he gets home to Pennsylvania um, uh, and uh, it's a Sunday. This happened on a Tuesday. It took him from Tuesday till Sunday, and his wife is at church, and he says, I'll meet you at church. And the whole congregation knew what had happened to him. He had walked from uh, the 100th floor or something down, and literally one of the last people out. And uh, he, he says that um, 
he walked into the church and the whole church turned around and his wife was in a pew at the front and she saw him and he said she's not a demonstrative person but she ran to the back weeping and jumped into his arms and he said uh, and he said I knew I was home and that was the last thing he said in the interview and that was the end of the transcript all that kind of thing actually seems to happen fairly often I mean these these pieces uh, as written pieces are really powerfully um, edited and conceived and I love that you give us the pictures of the people yeah. afterwards yeah that's, that's, that's a fun piece of it yeah you know and it's it's I it was fun when I'm editing the um, transcripts I don't see the pictures of the people so when I get the book then I get to see, so it's really fun to read it and then peek at the back and see what people look like. And very often it's not what you expect they're going to look like. No, no. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things about StoryCorps is that there are no preconceived notions about who people are. And we, we, we you know, we so often, we, so the way someone looks, and this is something that the facilitators tell me when they come off the road. They say, when I talk to them about what lessons they've learned, you know, they say, if you think you can judge someone by their physical experience and know what their internal life is, you're absolutely wrong because you're going to be surprised every time. So, you know, you can read stories and you just have no idea the, you know, what people look like, their uh, ethnicity and so forth. And then you see the picture, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see the kind of diversity of America in yeah. this in this book it's yeah. just astounding i mean early on we get a get a story from somebody whose mother came from Addis Ababa and, yeah. and i mean there's yeah. just so much so many great uh, so much great diversity that you really again wouldn't expect just looking out at at any crowd well but if you look at but if you t take all the crowds and put them together that is what america is yeah Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we're, you know, what we try and do with StoryCorps is make sure that we, um, we really do tell the full swath of the American story. And we put a lot of work into making sure that, you know, every different kind of person uh, is, uh, comes to StoryCorps. And when you, when you hear these stories or read these stories, you realize that, you know, as a country, and, you know, I'm sure this is true if this was an international project, which it is, and someday it may be, but we're still trying to build this in the U.S., but that, you know, there's a lot more we share in common than divides us. And it gets back to those core themes we talked about earlier, that people talk about what's really important to them, family, love, you know, um, uh, parents, and no matter where you come from, the same things are important to you. You know, so it's, you know, part of the underlying message of StoryCorps is that if we spent more time listening to each other and less time shouting to each other, we'd be a better country. And one of the things that strikes me uh, talking to you is that you've created uh, something or uh, an art form out of the interview and out of this kind of passive interview, the facilitated interview, which is, I think, a really odd and interesting form of that. What made you take that take on that kind of facilitated form that's a that's a unique vision well i, I think I, I think i know what you're asking but I, I but and and it's a very good question now remember you're you're interviewing your your grandparents and there's a facilitator in the in the um in the room with you when i did um when i used to do radio documentaries you know i it, as as time went on it was when there were conversations between people that were that knew and cared about each other was always the most powerful tape. Um, and, you know, when we were creating StoryCorps, even though I didn't know that there would be ongoing radio stories, I did know that we were creating this new kind of 
radio, essentially, which is three to two to three minutes of people just having a conversation with each other. And there's a, you know, there, there's just a electricity and a power to a conversation between two people who know each other and care about each other. That's yeah. much more, you know, it's much more, it's not, you know, you're not being interviewed by uh, someone who you don't know, and there's just an intimacy. And that's part playing to the strength of radio also. Yeah, I, one of the things that I guess radio does, and, and this this project in this book makes you think too about um, both radio and technology as a whole, because yeah. radio is such an old technology, yeah. and there's always this thought that something's going to outmode yeah. it, yeah. something's going to go past it, but radio well, gets to you human in, a, voice. Yeah, yeah. The, in a way that you can't get to anything yeah. else. Well, it's funny, because you also, I agree with you, you said earlier that the, the technology involved in this process, in this project, is mind-boggling. I mean, I don't even know what's, you know, tr thousands upon thousands of gigabytes, trilobytes or kickabytes or whatever it is. I mean, the, the data that our archive people are dealing with is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, this is also very much almost a sort of an anti-Twitter kind of project. It's about real sort of meaningful, not that all, I don't know that much about Twitter, but it's, um, it's uh, you know, it's about two people looking each other in the eye and having a real conversation. So it's this mix of, and it's radio, no cameras in the booth, although we do take a snapshot of you. So it's this mix of this old technology and, and people relating to each other as human beings that wouldn't be possible if not for the great technological advances. And I think that's something that you just said makes a lot of sense is that when you don't have a camera and you just have two people, I think that people are, are a lot more willing to let go, yeah. to, to really let their soul, bear their souls in just an right. audio format. Yeah, and I think of, you know, the soul is kind of contained in the voice. And I do think that, um, you know, the fact that these booths where people do these interviews, the lights are low, it's very relaxed, you don't have to worry about what you look like. That it's um, people just kind of look each other in the eye and just get lost in each other and have these conversations. Now, um, as a as a writer, when you're putting these things, to, putting this book together, you have to make some hard choices. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I think that you do really well in this book is there's the grouping, the sequencing, and the total volume. Uh, talk about creating, taking an audio experience yeah. that we hear on the radio and uh, translating it into a reading experience. So, th and that what and and that's what what we're very careful to do is not do that. So what we, we, we very consciously do not translate the audio experience into a reading experience and, and uh, do the best we can to just forget the voice, forget the voice and just look at the words. So if you took it, if you listened, so I, I, I think I, I counted, someone counted, I think maybe half the stories or a third of the stories have been on the radio, but the radio stories are gonna be very different, what we chose for radio than the print pieces. Um, and again, it's about the words that um, it's 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 a poetry on the printed page, which very often is different than the poetry in the spoken word. And, and yet, this well, it's so interesting that when we're reading this, we can tell that these are people, everyday people, talking about their everyday lives. Right. But there really is a poetry to all of that. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's what you know. But I mean, we all have that experience. You know, the, it's those kind of perfect moments when you're talking to whoever it is bus driver or whoever it is and you just have a real you know you just it, it reminds us of uh, you know what life is all about it's those kind of transcendent moments of when when you realize kind of you know what what it is to be a human being you know and, and how lucky we are to be alive and that's what you know kind of boiled down is what you get in these stories 
I've been speaking with David Isay. His new book is Mom, a Celebration of Mothers from StoryCorps. Thank you for joining me, David. Oh, it was great fun. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.